we're going to continue our lesson on what does the Bible say about works. So last night we started by looking at how salvation is by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. That's from Ephesians chapter 2. So if we're saved by faith, where do works fit in? So we were looking at good works versus bad works. So we looked at how your works can prove you're a believer. And then we looked at how your works can prove that you are wicked. So that's where we left off last night. So we talked about how wicked works are a snare. And that's from Psalm 916. How your works make you a hypocrite or wicked works can make you a hypocrite. That's Matthew 23 verses 1 through 5. We looked at how wicked works help you fit into the world, and that's John 7, verse 7, and 1 Samuel 8, 7. And so we left off last night with wicked works are called the works of darkness. So if they're called works of darkness, are these works that you want to be doing? Absolutely not. So Romans 13, verse 12. Romans 13, verse 12 says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. What day is at hand? The day, of the, the day of the Lord. So what does that mean? The night is far spent. That means how close are we to the day of the Lord? We are pretty close. Therefore, because the day of the Lord is at hand, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So notice it says the works of darkness have nothing to do with the light because what does the light do to the works of darkness? It exposes them, absolutely. It exposes them. So the word works used in Romans 13, 12 is the word ergon, E-R-G-O-N, ergon. So let us cast off the works of darkness. What's it mean to cast off something? Does that mean just casually take it off or throw it out? Throw it out. So throw off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Still looking at how wicked works are called works of darkness. Ephesians 5 verse 11. Let's start in verse 8 just to get a running start because I have a part in verse 10 that's underlined that's kind of it's kind of one of those head scratchers. Verse 8 says for you were for you were once darkness but now you are light in the Lord. So if you were once darkness and you are light, does that mean you continue walking in darkness? Absolutely not, cuz what is darkness synonymous with? Sin. So if that's the case, what are we to do with sin? Not live in sin any longer. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. How do we know somebody's? How do we know what somebody believes by their actions, by their fruit? Verse ten: Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and I have that underlined in my Bible. So, if we're to find out what is acceptable to the Lord, shouldn't we stop and think? Hmm, what does the Lord want us to do that would make us acceptable in His eyes? And verse 11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather, what? Expose them. So are we to dabble in the sins of the world, just a little bit of sin now and then? It says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. 
When it says unfruitful works of darkness, that means if you are doing those things, what kind of fruit are you producing? Bad fruit. Bad fruit. Unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And that word works, again, is ergon. So, are works of darkness a good thing or a bad thing? A very bad thing. Very, very, very bad thing. Alright, so wicked works are called works of darkness. So this is the fifth point. Wicked works are called works of the flesh. Works of the flesh. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. So we were just in Ephesians, so just flip back a few pages. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read 19 through 21. And this is something else I want you to think about. Was the book of Galatians written to a, bunch, to a group of unbelievers or believers? Believers. That were being led astray by what? False, do, false teaching, false doctrine. I want you to think about this stern warning that Paul is giving to these believers. This, to this group of believers. It says, verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, meaning they are very clear, blatantly obvious, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which means this is not an exhaustive list. That those who practice, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will what? Not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're doing these things and your lifestyle is characterized by these things, number one, they're called works of the flesh, which means they're not the works of God. And number two, if you're doing these things, and notice that word practice at the end of verse 21. Wayne, what do you suppose that is? What kind of verb? So does that mean a one-time uh-oh, oopsie? Or is that a continuous lifestyle of sin? That is a continuous lifestyle. So it literally says those who are doing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if your lifestyle is characterized by these things, and Paul says this isn't all of them, this is not an exhaustive list. If your life is characterized by these works of the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So my question that I'm, I'm posing is why would this warning be given to believers if it wasn't possible for them to inherit the kingdom of God? So what does that mean Paul is telling the people? Walk circumspectly. Be careful what you do because you can be led astray. So the works, the wicked works can be called works of the flesh. Um, speaking of those who won't inherit the kingdom of God, let's flip over to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. We're going to read verses 7 and 8. <laughs> 
Revelation 21.7 says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So does that sound like people who inherit the kingdom of God? Absolutely not. So it says, verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Does the Bible go into a little bit more detail about what an overcomer is? 1 John 5. 5. So let's flip over to 1 John 5 and look and see what does it take to be called an overcomer. Absolutely. Whatever the Bible calls an abomination, what does that make you? Abominable. So anything that the Scripture calls abominable. Anything that's abominable is exceptionally detestable in the eyes of God. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Does the Lord call eating the unclean thing an abomination? Absolutely. Absolutely. First John 5, starting in verse 1, it says, Whoever believes that Yeshua is the Messiah is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, and there's a period right there, right? Nope. And what? Keep his commandments. So what is the loving of God? That demonstrates your what? That's your faith. But how do you prove your faith? By your works. So notice how your faith and your works go hand in hand. Verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. So if you say, Lord, I love you. You're my Lord. You're the Lord of my life. I love you with every fiber of my being. How do you prove that you love God according to verse 3? If you what? If you obey Him and keep His commandments. So this is how you love God. Verse 3, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are a heavy yoke that you cannot bear. What's it say? And His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Yeshua is the Son of God? So what is it that makes you an overcomer? Your faith and your obedience to the commandments of God. Because if you have the faith, what is naturally going to flow from that? Love and your works. Your actions are just naturally going to flow from that. Absolutely. So wicked works can prove that or called works of the flesh. Number six. So here's my sixth point about your works prove that you're wicked. So wicked works make you partial. Wicked works make you partial. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And the word for works used back in Galatians 5.19 for works of the flesh was ergon, if if you're keeping notes on that. James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But the key word is 9, 
or key verses nine. Verse 8 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Do you see the word commit in verse 9? That's the word work. So you can go back and read it. It says, but if you show partiality, you work sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So that word work used for commit in verse 9 is ergazomai, E-R-G-A-Z-O-M-A-I. So if you work sin, that shows that you show partiality. What does it mean to show partiality? That means picking and choosing. But I kept 9 out of 10. Isn't that good enough? If you keep reading, verse, 11 say, or verse 10 says, Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is what? Guilty of all. He is guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So what does that prove? We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. That's where grace comes into the equation. So when we do commit sin, what does the scripture say to do? Continue in it or repent? Repent. And he, and he turns his nose and says, no, I won't forgive you. No, the scripture says he's faithful and just to forgive. To which I'm very thankful. So your works can prove that you're wicked. So your wicked works are a snare. They make you a hypocrite. They help you fit into the world. They're called works of darkness. They're called works of the flesh. And they make you partial. Now, continuing on that same topic, those who work lawlessness are called workers of iniquity. Now, where have you heard that phrase, workers of iniquity or workers of lawlessness? Where have you heard that before? Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Now, is that the only place in Scripture where you see the phrase, a worker of iniquity? Absolutely not. So the book of Psalms really goes into great detail about what characterizes a worker of iniquity. So go to Matthew chapter 7. Let's read that scripture first, and then we're going to go look at scriptures that show what exactly does the Lord mean when he says a worker of lawlessness. So Matthew 7. We're going to read verses 21 through 23. Then we're going to go look at some different scriptures in Psalms and Proverbs that go into a lot of detail about what is a worker of iniquity. Verse 21 of Matthew 7 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Notice it doesn't say he who makes a profession of faith. What does it say? He who what? Does the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who, what? Practice lawlessness. If you look at Luke chapter 13, it's the same account, but it uses a little bit of different terminology. So Luke 
chapter 13, verse 27. The same account. Verse 27 of Luke 13 says, But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. All you workers of iniquity. So, just from that scripture alone right there, if I just read verse 27 without no context, would that help you to know what a worker of iniquity is? Not exactly. You at least know that iniquity is lawless at a continuation of sin, but the Scripture tells us what are the characteristics of a worker of iniquity. So let's go back to Psalm 5. Psalm 5. So here are six characteristics of a worker of iniquity. So number one, a characteristic of a worker of iniquity is one who the Lord hates. Now that sounds pretty harsh, but when I read the scripture, you'll say, oh, that's what it says. So don't stone the messenger. I didn't, I didn't come up with that. That's what the scripture says. Psalm 5, verse 5. Let's start in verse 4 to get a running start for the context. Psalm 5, 4 says, You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. In verse 5, do you see the word boastful? Underline that phrase. The word boastful in Hebrew is holin. H-O-L-L-I-M, holin. And it comes from the word halal, which means to praise. So it's Hebrew word 1984. So that word halim can literally be translated the praising ones. But who are they praising? Themselves. So the boastful shall not stand in your sight. So literally the praising ones shall not stand in your sight. So when it calls them the praising ones, who are they praising? Are they praising God or praising themselves? Praising themselves. And it says, you hate all workers of iniquity. Now, think back to Matthew 7. What, the, what were the people doing that the Lord gave in the illustration? Lord, did we not do all of these things in your name? So in other words, what were they doing? They were boasting in themselves. Look at all these things that you should be happy that we did. And what did God say? I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So the boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. And that word workers is the word pa'al. It's from the word pa'al. P-A apostrophe A-L. So a characteristic, another characteristic of a worker of iniquity. So number one, those who the Lord hates. Number two, those who have no knowledge. Those who have no knowledge. Go to Psalm 14, 4. Psalm 14, 4. Now when I say knowledge, am I talking about textbook knowledge? Am I talking about they didn't graduate from college? Is that the kind of knowledge we're talking about right here? Absolutely not. Psalm 14, 4. 
says, Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call on the, na- on the Lord? So it says, have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge. No knowledge of what? Where does the Bible talk about that knowledge mentioned here? Hosea 4. Hosea 4. Let's go to Hosea 4. So when it says they have no knowledge, that's not talking about they didn't go to college. Hosea 4 verse 6. Let's get a running start from verse 1 and then we'll go down to verse 6. Hosea 4.1 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. When it says there's no truth, what is he talking about? No Torah. No instruction. Verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priest for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. So if they have rejected knowledge, what does Psalm 14.4 call those people who reject that knowledge? A worker of iniquity. Because they're not working righteousness. They're working lawlessness because they're rejecting that instruction from God. And the word work here, workers, it's from the word pa'al, P-A apostrophe A-L. So workers of iniquity, those who the Lord hates, those who have no knowledge. Number three, those who are hypocrites. So let's go to Psalm 28.3. So we're looking at what are those characteristics of a worker of iniquity. Psalm 28.3. Psalm 28.3. It says, Do not take me away with the wicked, and with the workers of iniquity. So, do you see the Hebrew parallelism right here? So, what is synonymous with the workers of iniquity? The wicked. So, do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. So, they say one thing to, the, to somebody, but what's really inside of them? Evil. Wickedness. What does the Lord call people like that? Hypocrites, actors. And that word worker is from the word pa'al. Another characteristic, number four, of characteristic of a worker of iniquity, those who boast in themselves. Those who boast in themselves. So we just saw that in Psalm 5, but we'll see it again. So go to Psalm 94 verse 4. Psalm 94.4. Alright, so verse 4 starts with they. Who is they talking about? Let's go back to verse 3 and see who they is referring to. Verse 3 says, Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? 
So who is they talking about in verse 4? The wicked. So verse 4 says, They utter speech and speak insolent things. So when it says they utter speech, that means they're just babbling and speak insolent or arrogant things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. What's interesting about that phrase, boast in themselves, take note of that phrase right there. That phrase, boast in themselves, is a heat pael verb. And it's a heat pael. Heat pael means you cause yourself to do something. So, it's a heat pael form of amar. And amar means to talk, to say. So literally, they're causing themselves to say things about themselves. So is somebody twisting their wrist, making them say all these boastful things, or are they making themselves say it? They're making themselves say it. So they're causing themselves to boast. Do you think God likes that? Absolutely not. So all the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They cause themselves to say all of these arrogant, boastful things. So they're making a conscious choice. Number five, another characteristic of a worker of iniquity, those who turn aside to their own ways. Go to Psalm 125. Psalm 125. We've got to start in verse 1 just to see the context of it all. So the key verse is 5, but let's start in verse 1. It says, Those who trust in the Lord are, Mount, are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. And when it refers to Mount Zion, what is it ultimately referring to? The Temple Mount. The, the, temple mount, the kingdom of God. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. You see that word upright a lot. It's from the verb yashar. You ever heard of the book of Jasher? It's really yashar, which means the book of the righteous. So what is the book of the righteous? The Torah, absolutely. And those who are upright, Yashar, in their hearts. Verse 5 says, As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. So what happens if you decide to turn from the path you're walking on and start walking aside on your own path? What does it say? The Lord will lead you away with who? The workers, the wicked, the workers of iniquity. So you'll be counted as one of those workers of iniquity. When we listen to Matthew 7 and Luke 13, what did the Lord say to those He called workers of iniquity? Did He say, come in, my good and faithful children? Or what did He say? Depart from me. Depart from me. I kind of knew you. I knew you for a little while. I never knew you. Never knew you. Another characteristic of a worker of iniquity 
Number six, those who are doomed to destruction. Well, that's positive, isn't it? Those who are doomed to destruction. Proverbs 10, 29. You know, it sounds like a downer, but aren't you thankful that God gives us these warnings of what not to do? He gives us a book full of what not to do. All of... (laughs) All of one nation's blunders are recorded for us in a book to teach us what not to do. And what do people and what do people do? There's a lot more not to do than there are to do. Right. Go to Deuteronomy twenty eight and see what how long is the list of blessings? It's fifteen verses. How long is the book of or the, the verses talking about the curses? It's all it's from sixteen all the way to sixty eight. So if the Lord's gonna, the Lord says, "Yeah, I'll bless you if you're obedient," but what if you're not? You're not going to like the outcome. Proverbs ten twenty nine. It says, "The way of the Lord is strength for the upright." Didn't we just read about the upright back in Psalm one twenty five five? But destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. And that word worker, again, is all. So now that we've read these characteristics, number one, one one who the Lord hates. Number two, one that has no knowledge. Number three, one who is a hypocrite. Number four, one who boasts in himself. Number five, one who turns turns aside to his own ways. Number six, one who's doomed to destruction. Let's go back to Matthew 7. And let's see if that makes it a little more clear. Matthew 7. Verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? What, what did we read about in the book of Psalms that we could tie to this right here? Those who boast in themselves. Lord, look at all the things that I did that you should be proud of. And what does God say to them? Verse 23, And then I, dec- I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That word practice is actually the word work. It's from the verb ergazomai, E-R-G-A-Z-O-M-A-I. So, depart from me, you who work lawlessness. Do you think that's a one-time blunder or somebody who's in a continuous lifestyle? Lifestyle, a continuous, ongoing action. And in Luke 13, 27, the word for worker of iniquity is the Greek word ergates. E-R-G-A-T-E-S. Ergates. And that's Greek word 2040. That's for Luke 13, 27. Let's just flip over there. It was just the, the parallel verse. To Matthew 7. Luke 13, 27. But he will say, 
I do not I tell you I do not know you where you are from depart from me all you workers of iniquity the word workers is that Greek word ergates E R G A T E S and that's Greek word 2040 So do we have a clear understanding of what a worker of iniquity is So if we want to know what a worker of iniquity is, we have to go back and look at the scriptures that tell us here is what characterizes a worker of iniquity. So what's the solution? What's the solution? Let's go to Psalm 119. How do we not become a worker of iniquity? The key verse is verse 3, but I want us to start in verse 1 to get a running start. Psalm 119, verse 1. The key verse is 3. Did I not say 119? Okay. Psalm 119, verse 1. It says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. What's that word blessed really mean? Happy. So happy are the undefiled in the way who walk in the Torah of the Lord. But haven't you heard your whole life that the, the law is a burden too hard to bear? Nobody can bear it. It's just miserable. Oh, what's, what does the psalmist say? Happy is the one who does it. Happy. Why are we happy? Because we keep the Torah of the Lord. Well, number one, we know what the Lord expects of us. And number two, it keeps us from walking a lifestyle of sin. It's just in a relationship. Yeah. We can't have that relationship unless you were in that position. Absolutely. Right. Because what did we see in Matthew 7 about all those people said, Lord, look at all these things I did for you. They weren't for Him. Exactly. The the problem, I mean, the the real problem is what we're being taught today and have been for a long time is that good people who do their own thing and they don't do adultery and murder that they are in relationship in relation to God. And they're I mean, these are just people going about their lives with no concept of what God asks them to do. Right. His Torah isn't grievous, the scripture says. Right. But it is specific. Right. And so people that have no they really don't have an evil heart. They're not wanting to do bad things to people. Right. But they're also not wanting that relationship with with God. Right. They don't really hunger and thirst after righteousness. They just want to go back their life and get along with everybody. Exactly. And even that is not sufficient. That they they still hit that scripture where Yeshua says, I don't even know where you're from. Right. I don't know you. Right. Absolutely. And and the Torah is a unit. It's mm-hmm. not, you can yeah. pick and choose, it's not, you know, this, that, you know, the big ten or whatever, right. the big nine. Right, and what did we read in the book of James about being partial? Yeah. Absolutely. So verse 2 of Psalm 119 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. Verse 3 says, They also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. So in verse 3 where it says do, that's actually the word work. It's the word pa'al. So those who work know iniquity. 
they walk in his ways. So what is the solution for us if we don't want to be a worker of iniquity? What's the solution? Stop. Walk in the Torah. Exactly. Stop sinning. Walk in the Torah. All right. So we looked at if we're saved by faith, where do works fit in? So we looked at good works versus bad works. Number two, we're going to switch gears now and look at how we are judged by our works. So if we're not saved by works, another thing that works do is they help decide your rewards come judgment day. So we're judged by our works or our deeds or our actions. So let's go to Psalm 28. Psalm 28. Um, if you want to get us... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You can just help yourself. Psalm 24, 28, verse 4. Starting in verse 3, we just read this just a moment ago. It says, Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Verse 4 says, Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve. So notice the word work is kind of used in several different ways in verse 4. So in verse 4 where it says give the give to them give them according to their deeds. The word deeds is the Hebrew word poal. P O apostrophe A L. The second line it says according to the wickedness of their endeavors. The word endeavors is the Hebrew word ma'alal. M A apostrophe A L A L. Ma'alal. The third line, give to them according to the work of their hands. That word work is ma'aseh, M-A apostrophe A-S-E-H. Render to, render to them what they deserve. So three different ways. What is the psalmist, say, what is David praying right here? Lord, give to them according to the works of their hands. So how are we judged? Are we judged by just the words that we say or the actions that we do? By the actions that we do. But look at verse 5. It goes on. Because, so give to them what they deserve because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of His hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. So, what characterized the workers of iniquity right here? What did they not regard? The work of the Lord. The work of the Lord. So that word work in verse 5 where it says the works of the Lord, that's the Hebrew word pelua, P-E-L-L-U-A-H. And that's Hebrew word 6468. Anything, yes, like anything that the Lord has done, absolutely. The operation of His hands. Who, for, who made 
the instruction, the heavens and earth, the Lord did. Who gave us the instructions? Who made and formed those instructions? The Lord did. So anything that comes from the Lord would be considered the work of His hands. You know, doesn't it kind of remind you of how people today believe that we just evolved out of a pile of goo and, you know, we're just here by chance, just boom, here we are. Right. So doesn't so are those people regarding the work of the Lord? Absolutely not. Absolutely. Another bringing it forward, uh, Paul in writing Romans, I'm assuming he wrote that. Uh, he he talks in the early chapters about because these people went into their own ways and refused to acknowledge God and to give him thanks, thankfulness for all these works. I mean these myriad works of creation. It's because they failed to give him thanks. Right. That he just turned them over to their evil because right. and we have we have that in spades today with people who don't acknowledge the creation of God. They ascribe it to nature. Mm -hmm. And then because they do that, they don't acknowledge God. Right. And because of that, they are not thankful. They're boastful, prideful. Right. They're in themselves. And so, you know, just from Psalms here, it, it goes forward. And Paul describes it in terms that we would recognize today right. in our culture. Right. Let's go to Romans 1 and let's read about that. Absolutely. So, what David mentioned in Psalm 28, is that just a one-time little thing or is it like you said is that it's a life it's a lifestyle absolutely right so Romans 1 starting in verse 18 it says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his external power and Godhead, so that they are what? Without excuse. So they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Doesn't that read exactly like all the prophets of old? What were they telling the people? Stop worshiping these things that you made with your hands and you're having to carry around. You cut down a tree, you use half of it to cook your food, then the other half you worship and say, this is my God. So what is, Paul's, what is Paul saying about this? It's foolishness. It's absolute foolishness. So how much excuse do people have when they say, oh, there's no God, God didn't create all this? There's no excuse. There's no excuse. Absolutely. There's no excuse. So does God hold people accountable, if we tie it right back to what we just read in Psalms, does God hold those people accountable for that? Yep. Absolutely and calls them wicked. Let's go to Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24. 
still looking at how we are judged by our works. Verse 12 says, If you say, Surely we did not know this, does he who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? Will he not render to each man according to his deeds? So is that just a New Testament concept of we're judged by our works? Absolutely not. So when, it, when somebody says, we didn't know, what does God say? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You're without excuse. Look at verse 20. Verse 20. For there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Hmm. Absolutely. The word in verse 12 where it says, at the very end of verse 12, it says, according to his deeds, that's actually the word works. It's po'al, P-O apostrophe A-L. So according to his works. Okay, let's go to Ecclesiastes. We're in Proverbs, so just flip the page, flip about 10 pages, and you'll be at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. There's a really cool nugget hidden within here that I had never seen till I looked at it in the Hebrew. Ecclesiastes 13 and 14. We've read these verses hundreds of times. Verse 13 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Do you see the word matter? It's the word devar. Word. word. So let us hear the conclusion of the whole word. So what do we call the scriptures? The word. So let us hear the conclusion of the whole word. So if you want to know what's the purpose of the scriptures, it's summed up right here. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole word. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. You want to know what your purpose in life is? Here it is. Here's the conclusion of the whole word. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So number one, our purpose is to fear God and obey His commandments. Why do we do that? Because come judgment day, how are we judged? According to our works. Verse 14, it's that where it talks about work. That word is ma'aseh. Ma'aseh. M-A apostrophe A-S-E-H. So the whole Bible, the whole Scripture, the whole of the Scriptures can be summed up with Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. What's the purpose of the Torah? What's the purpose of the Scriptures? It's to teach us how to fear God, how to keep His commandments, and that one day we're going to be what? We're going to be judged for whether we did or whether we didn't. Warren says, Psalm 125.4. Uh-oh, that was 15 minutes ago. Psalm 125.4 makes me think of Matthew 24.48. So really quickly, sorry about that, Warren. So 125.4. For it says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are up who are good and those who are upright in their hearts. He said it reminded him of Matthew twenty four forty eight. 
So we'll flip over to Matthew 24, 48 real quick. Matthew 24, 48. Which is funny because we are going to be talking about good servants and evil servants later. Verse 48 says, But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that, of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour he is not aware of, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what's the, uh, what's the moral of that? Should we be upright or should we be wicked? <laughs> upright, absolutely. Thank you, Warren. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 2. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So if indeed creation and the scripture and the commands and all that are works of God, and on you know, the seventh day he rested from all his work, mm -hmm. which would include the scriptures, I'm assuming, then um, that means the Torah was from the... I mean, that proves the Torah was from Absolutely. the beginning. Is that not correct? Absolutely, yes. If you go to Romans... Go to Romans... It didn't just happen in Exodus 20. Right, it didn't just happen in Exodus 20. You're absolutely right. So, to answer your question, go to Romans... Romans 5.13. Romans 5.13 says, For until the law, sin was in the world. That means when the, until the law was given at Mount Sinai, sin was in the world, and sin is not imputed where there is no law. Was there sin before Exodus 20? Sure. Absolutely. What is sin? Sin is transgression of the law. So if you look back at Genesis 4, Genesis 4, this is the account of who? Cain and Abel, right. Look at verse 7. How far, how long before Exodus 20 is Genesis 4? A day or two. A day or two, right. A day or two, if you count a day as a thousand years, right? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, what lies at the door? Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So if sin only started at Exodus 20, which that's not what Romans 5 says, but if sin is lawlessness, sin is breaking God's commandments, how long has the law been in effect? Since the beginning, Since the beginning of time. Is Torah not mentioned specifically in Genesis 26? I don't know, is it? Yes, it is. Yes, it was, absolutely. Genesis 26. How long before Exodus 20 is Genesis 26? Quite a long time. So we're talking about Abraham. This is God telling Isaac, here's how Abraham proved his faith to me. 
It says, Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, my Torah. So what do you suppose when Adam and God were walking in the garden? Do you think they were talking about the football game the night before? <laughs> what do you think they were talking about? Torah, instructions. Here's how you know what you need to do, and here's what not to do. Absolutely. So I hope that answers your question. All right. So let's go to Romans 2. Romans 2. We're going to read verses 5 through 11, talking about how we're judged by our works. Starting in verse 5, it says, But in accordance with the, your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. What's that mean, an impenitent heart? One that will not repent. Stone cold. Verse 6, it says, Who will render to each one according to his deeds. So verse 6 is quoted from, Pro from Proverbs 24.12. And that word deeds here is the Greek word ergon. It's actually works. So who will render to each one according to his deeds. Verse 7. So look at the two hands. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. So you have one side, eternal life. So who gets eternal life? Those who by patient what? Continuance. Does that mean a one-time thing? Patient continuance in doing good. The Greek says a good work. Patient continuance in a good work. Do you see how the word work is masked in that translation? So that word work in verse 7 is actually ergon, in doing a good work. So by patient continuance in a good work, seek, it's actually seeking, it's a participle, for glory, honor, and immortality. So what, what does God expect for us to do? Once we make that profession of faith, what does God expect us to do? He expects us to continually work good works, to do good, to do those good works. Because what, do, okay, when you hear the phrase doing good, how broad of a term is that? That's relative. Because how many of you have heard people say, well, I'm a good person, so I'm going to heaven. According to who? Because if I ask this person over here, they'll say, yeah, that's a good person. You could ask this person over here. No, they might say, that's the sorriest person I've ever seen in my life. So what kind of righteousness is that called? That's self-righteousness. So how are we judged? Are we judged according to our own righteousness or according to our works, our actions, our deeds? So if we're, if we're judged by our works, there has to be a standard. What's the standard that we're judged according to? The truth. The truth. Torah. Verse 8. Verse 8. It says, but to those who are self-seeking... Hold on. Give me just a second. To those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, 
but obey unrighteousness, what do they get to look forward to? Indignation and wrath. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. That actually says who is doing evil. A continuous action of the Jew first and also the Greek. Yes. Daniel, could you go over verse 12 and 13 when you get there? Because I just do not understand those two verses. I mean, I'm kind of reading along here, but the 12 and 13 is kind of double speak to me. Okay. Please. All right. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. All right. Verse 9, it says, Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil or is doing evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good. Notice it says works. That word in verse 10 is the Greek word ergodzomai. Works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. So is there two ways of salvation? Absolutely not. There is no partiality with God. So if you are doing impatient continuance, those things that God commands, and you have that faith, it says you will have eternal life. But if you're self-seeking and do not obey the truth, don't expect God to be partial with you. It says there's no partiality with God. So verse 12 says, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. Those that... Outside. Without doesn't mean I don't have it. it right. It means outside of the law. Right. It means without knowledge of the law. Is what it means. So the, for as many as have sinned without knowledge of the law will also perish without law or without knowledge of the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Okay, so... Penny, think about, I want to take you back to Genesis 15. This might help answer your point, answer your question. Genesis 15. We're going to read verses 13 through 16. Are you there? Yes, sir. Okay. Genesis 15, verses 13 through 16, it says, But then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, were the Amorites under the same expectation of following God's commandments as everybody else? I don't know. Absolutely. No. Well, how were they judged? What did God say? The iniquity of the Amorites was not yet complete. So they, okay. they were judged by their sin. Did they keep the commandments? No. They didn't keep the commandments. So they were without the knowledge of the law. But were they still judged by the law? Yes. Absolutely. Because what is iniquity? Lawlessness. What is lawlessness? That is continuous lifestyle of sin. What is sin? 
Sin is breaking God's commandments. God is breaking God's law. So even though they did not have the knowledge of the law, were they still judged by the law? Yes. Absolutely. If you go back to Romans chapter 2, actually Romans 2, go to chapter 3. It's not an excuse. And that's what Paul has started saying from chapter 1. He's saying, you are without excuse. And that's what chapter 2, verse 12. Exactly. You're without excuse. And then verse chapter 3, 19 drives the point home. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are, it should say, in the law. So that makes it sound like it's just for the Jews, right? Keep reading. It says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Not just Jewish. So when it says those who are in the law, who is it talking about? If all the world is guilty before God, who is it applicable for? Everyone. Everyone. Therefore, that by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So back in verse 12, what is it saying about those people who, have the, who do not have the knowledge of the law? Do they get a free pass? No. Okay. They don't get a free pass. So they're without excuse. Right. Their ancestors actually were guilty of not passing it on. Absolutely. So, does that answer your question? And yeah, that helps a lot. Thank you. Daniel? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Um, in those Roman scriptures, thank you. In those Roman scriptures, you know, it talks about the ones that don't have the law, and it goes on to say, although they not having the law are a law unto themselves. Right. That I guess his... his the knowledge of right and wrong is, to some degree, very much ingrained, is it not? Right. So it's like when somebody, when somebody commits you know, what God would call a sin, I mean, whether they're a believer or not a believer, you're right. People should have that sense of right and wrong ingrained in them. But if you look back at verse, or chapter 1, verse 28, it says those who continue to reject God and His knowledge, what does God give them over to? They're, to a debased mind. A debased mind. To a debased mind. Absolutely. And verse 13... Also, I'm sorry, go I ahead. Also ask, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You go ahead. Um, whenever we were first going over these Romans 2 scriptures uh, up above in 6, and I have a New King James Version the portion where it says will render to each one according to his deeds mm -hmm. all of that is in italics and a lot of times i look at things as in italics as not being there but i just was kind of curious about that that just means it's quoted from the old testament so that's quote that's okay so sometimes when it's italicized notice it has quotation marks around it yes so that that just means it's quoted from the old testament so okay. sometimes the scripture is italicized and then other words that are italicized are just added by the translator. So this would be a case of just <laughs> quoting a scripture. So there's Old Testament right. scripture that backs up that particular statement. Right, right. So if it's an added word 
to the scripture that the translator adds, there won't be quotation marks around it. Okay. So like in, like in verse... Um, Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Like in verse 13, the word are is in italics. That means it's not really there in the original. But since we're already at verse 13, I'm, I'm going to um, go back to what Penny says. Verse 13, it says, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So that means... If you just hear it and don't do it, what does James say? Hearers of the word are not justified, but you have to hear it and what? Hear it and do it. Because if you believe that it's the word of God, if you have that kind of faith that these are the words of God, what are you going to do? You're going to do them. You're going to obey out of faith and out of love. All right, 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Those verses that talk about being doers of the law make you even think about, I believe it's the scriptures in Acts where uh, Peter, and hope I didn't get my scriptures twisted, but Peter talks about those all over the world who are doing his commandments are welcome. Is that not the short version of that? <laughs> um, are you referring to Acts 10 by chance? I believe it, yeah, where um, Cornelius, you know, where he, he comes yep. to the knowledge that, uh, does that make sense? Yeah, it, it's Acts 10. Verse 35. Yeah, I'm looking to see if that's coming up in, because if it is, I'll talk about it when I get there. Hmm. We'll just read it now. It's, it's Acts, yep. yeah, Acts 10, 30. 35, yep. 4. Yep, 34 and 35. It says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. Didn't we just read that? That God is not partial? Yeah. Absolutely. Verse 35, But in every nation who fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. So what does that mean to work righteousness? That means to obey His commandments. What's it mean to fear Him? Does that mean just tremble in your boots? It means to obey Him. It means to have faith, to have love. Absolutely. Thank you, Susie. Alright. First, 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. We're going to read verses 12 through 15. The key verses are 13 and 15, but we'll read 12 through 15. It says, But what I do... I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast, talking about the false teachers. So who's the true teacher? Who's the true apostle? Paul is. So Paul is saying they want to be regarded as a true teacher, but they're leading people astray with their false doctrine. Verse 13 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Messiah. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their 
works. To their works. Verse 15, the word works is ergon. In verse 13, do you see the word workers? It's the Greek word ergates, E-R-G-A-T-E-S, ergates. So what does the scripture say about those who are false teachers? Their ends will be their end will be according to their works. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a bad day for them, right. Let's go to Revelation twenty. Revelation twenty. Revelation twenty. We're going to read verses twelve and thirteen. We'll just read 11 through 15, since it all goes together. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books." So, which book do you suppose did not have their name in it? The Book of Life. Which book do you think was chock full of their deeds? <laughs> the other book, right? The Book of Deeds, right. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. When you see the word Hades, it's actually the word Sheol. It's the grave. Then death and Hades, or the grave, Sheol, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Kind of rough coming out of the ocean and being thrown into the fire. Yeah. That's it. Well, I mean, think about those who... I mean, if, you're, if you die lost, I mean, you're, you're in the... A holding cell, pretty much, and then it's like you go from the frying pan into the oven. Right. Absolutely. Is, is the, uh, the sea there? Is that one of those references to the nations, not not actually to the ocean itself, but to to the uh, all the Gentile the Gentile nations? nations? I think it might be. Maybe. I think it could be, but at the same time, how many people died at sea also? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's kind of saying like, yeah, it's talking about the people from the nations. But also, how many people have been mauled by animals? How many people have been eaten by sharks? I mean, there's you know, probably bits and pieces of people everywhere. God's saying, I can take all those bits and pieces, put them back together, and judge you. <laughs> so... And the spirit remains intact no matter what happens Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's kind of a stern warning. It doesn't matter what happens. God can find you. He can put you back together and judge you. <laughs> All right. Go to Revelation 22. Oh, and the word for um, each one's work in Revelation 20 was Aragon. Revelation 22:12. And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, or in Hebrew, the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So when he says all of these things, I'm going to give to everyone according to his work. And then he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Who is he, Yeshua calling himself? God. God. He's calling himself God because those are all references to names he gave himself in the Old Testament back in Isaiah. The beginning and the end, the first and the last. The word work in verse 12 is ergon. So, we are judged by our works. We're judged by our actions. So, another purpose, switching to a new topic, another purpose of works. Anyone who, who serves the Master is called a servant. So a servant does the work of his master. So we read in Matthew 24 just a moment ago about that wicked servant. So we're going to look for now at what does it mean to serve God or serve other gods. So if a servant does the work of his master, what does it mean to serve other gods? So... Serving other gods, number one, means to do according to their works. So let's go to Exodus 23. Exodus 23. Exodus 23. We're going to read verses 20. 3 and 24. The word serve that's going to be used here is the Hebrew word avad. Avad. A-V-A-D. Avad. What do you call a servant in Hebrew? Evid. Where does it come from? It comes from the comes from the Hebrew word avad. All right, verses twenty three and twenty four. It says, "For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off." So this ties right back to Genesis fifteen, where the Lord said, "I'm not bringing you into the land until what is full. The iniquity of the Amorites is full." So is the iniquity of the Amorites full? You betcha. Verse 24. You shall not bow your you shall not bow down to the to their gods nor serve them there's the word avad nor do according to what? Their works. But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So when it says here to serve their gods does that mean just to bow down and worship them? Or does it imply more than that? More than that. Because it says when they serve them, it says, do not do according to their works. Whose works are they talking about? The works of the people that were casting out of the land. The Hivites, the ites. Okay. Absolutely. So you so bow down to you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. So the gods that they served, what were the works that kind of followed the worship? Think about Baal Peor. Immorality. Immorality. Absolutely. 
So when they bowed down at Baal Peor to serve those gods, what followed? The plague. But what kind of works went with serving those gods? The sexual immorality. So when it talks about doing their works, it's talking about doing the works that would involve serving those gods. Do you think that they're going to say the works are going to be um, stay away from these unclean things? Um, yeah. Remember the Sabbath. Do you think it's going to be those kind of works? Absolutely not. No. All right. In verse 24, where it says, you shall not bow down. It, liter- it's a, um, it literally says, you shall not cause yourself to bow down. So what kind of choice is it? It's a conscious choice. You don't trip and fall and serve another God. You make a conscious choice. And notice here where it says you shall utterly overthrow and completely break down their sacred pillars. Those are infinitives of emphasis. So how, how much more pound in the podium can you get than that? So it literally says overthrowing you shall overthrow them. Breaking you shall break them. So... What should, we, what should God have expected to see when these people came into the land where those idols were? A pile of dust. Rubble. A pile of dust. Alright. Go to Leviticus 18. Still looking at what it means to serve other gods. So number one, it means to do according to their works. So Leviticus 18. We'll start with verse 1 to see who's talking. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. Not these idols. I am. Verse 3 says, According to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. So, he's saying, you shall not serve their gods the way that they... Don't serve me the way you serve them. So don't do according to the doings of the land of Egypt or the doings of the land of Canaan. You mean these weren't good, godly, God-fearing people? Absolutely not. Do you see the word doings in verse 3? It's the Hebrew word ma'aseh, the works, the deeds of the people. So do not do according to their works. Alright, go to Psalm 106. Psalm 106. We're going to read verses 34 through 39. The word served is in verse 36, and it's the word avad. Verse 34 says, They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them. 
but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. How did it become a snare to serve those other idols? Well, number one, what did the Lord say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And when you start serving the idols, what follows? The works. The works. Verse 7, here are some of the works. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. So what is another work of serving those gods? Child sacrifice. Who was the main who was the main god that they would sacrifice their children to? Moloch. Absolutely. Moloch. Verse 39, thus they were defiled, or tame, unclean. They were unclean by the work, by their own works, and they played the harlot by their own deeds. So what did it mean to serve those gods? It meant to be part of it, to, be part of it, to do their works, to do their deeds. What had God commanded to do with these people? When you get into the land, leave a few of them. No. Kill them. Drive them out. So because they didn't destroy the people, what was allowed to happen in the land? They mixed together and they learned their works and served their idols. In verse 39, the word works, they were defiled by their own works. That's the word ma'aseh. And then the word deeds is the word ma'alal. Ma'alal. So just another way of saying works. Alright, go to 2 Kings 17. 2 Kings 17. Second Kings 17. Verse 16. Yep. Let's look back at verse 13 so we know who's being talked to. It says, Yet the Lord, in verse 13, it says, Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by some of his prophets, by all of his prophets, every seer saying, What was the message of every prophet? Shuvu, turn, repent from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. Nevertheless, yeah, not some, not some, all, absolutely. Nevertheless, they would not hear but stiffen their necks. So what was God likening them to? A stubborn horse. That won't turn. Verse 17, let's skip down. Oh, verse 16, let's not, let's not skip too far. Verse 16, so they left some of the commandments of the Lord their God. What's it say? They left all, coal meets vote, all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image, and not just one calf, two. One's not good enough, we have to have two. 
made a wooden image and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. Absolutely. I think they lived in America. What's happened before is looking, it's looking very similar, isn't it? So in verse 16 where it says they served Baal, what were the works that followed serving Baal? They caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. They practiced witchcraft. They practiced soothsaying. And it says they sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord. That word sold themselves means to literally make themselves a slave to sin. Right. It mean, it's a term used for selling oneself into slavery. So when it says they sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, they became a slave to sin. Absolutely. So when they, ser when they started serving Baal, who brought in Baal worship or Baal worship to the northern kingdom? Jezebel. Old Jezzy. Old Jezebel. Yep. Sweetheart. Oh, sweetheart. Right. Yep. Got a little honey in there. Yep, 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 yep. All right. So, serving other gods means to do according to their works. Number two, serving other gods means to worship them. So, let's go to Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. We can't start with but. So we're going to have to go back to verse 11. I know. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Now think about this. If they were not, and, and this is kind of the point Moses is driving to. Moses knew the heart of the people, did he not? He knew as soon as he died, what were the people going to do? Go the other way. They were going to go the other way. Even though the word of God was where? Right in front of their faces. So he's saying, don't. Try to, you know, say, hey, if somebody goes far away and brings us the word back, we'll keep it. Moses is saying, you won't keep it if it's right in front of your face. So he knows the heart of the people. So he's saying, don't say, well, if somebody goes over here long, far away and, and brings us back these words, we'll keep those words. Moses is saying, keep the words that are right in front of your face. Said the word is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. So if they're written on the heart, that sounds like the new covenant, doesn't it? Circumcision of the heart. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. 
in all I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in all the land which you go to possess. But, verse 17, if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you will come into the land anyway. Oh, absolutely. What's say it say? Just say you will surely perish. perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death. So when it says, I have set heaven and earth as witnesses against you, what does that mean? You are without excuse. I've set heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. So God is saying it's simple. Choose life, and you'll live in the land that I'm giving you forever. But what happens if you go and you worship and you serve other gods? Captivity. Don't expect to stay in the land which I'm giving you. Absolutely. And that word serve in verse 17 is the word avod. Alright, number three. What else does it mean to serve other gods? To serve other gods means to forsake the Lord. Go to Joshua 24. Joshua 24. Do you think Joshua had a different message for the people that Moses had? No. If he did, I have not found it. Joshua 24. We're going to read verses 16 through 22. But the word serve is in verse 16. And it's the word avad. So the people answered and said... Far be it from us that we should for, forsake the Lord and serve other gods. You know Joshua's just sitting there doing this. Yeah, right. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God, for the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. Tie back to Genesis 15. We will also serve the Lord, for He is our God. So doesn't that sound like just there's the declaration of faith. They finally repented. They finally realized, hey, we know what we need to do. If they made that declaration of faith and they meant it, what, you, what would we expect Joshua to say back? Praise the Lord. Yeah. Look what Joshua said in verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a, for he is a holy God. It really says, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. 
So what does Joshua know about the people? They're fickle. They're fickle. They're not going to serve the Lord. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins because they're not going to repent of them. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after He has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. How long did it take for the people to turn away from the Lord? Did, did it take hundreds and hundreds of years? The next verse said that it was already happening. If you go over to Judges chapter 2, which we'll be looking at Judges 2 here in just a moment, you'll see the answer to my question. So when it says they forsook the Lord, there's more to that than meets the eye. We're going to see that here in just a minute. What's it mean to forsake the Lord? So it says, the people said, we are not going to forsake the Lord. We're not going to serve other gods. We're going to stay true to God. And Joshua looked at them and said, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not able to serve the Lord for He's a holy God. All that He's done for you, you're going to forget about Him. And the people said, no, no, no. And He said, okay, you're witnesses against yourself. Now go over to Judges chapter 2. So just flip the page. Verse 23, Right. So is that kind of a foreshadowing of things to come? No, but they were doing it presently. Right. saying we're going to... We're going to wholeheartedly follow God. So he says, Now therefore, he said, Put away the foreign gods, not which were among you, which are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. So what we read in Judges 2 will make it all make perfect sense. So Judges 2, starting, we're going to read verses. We'll read verses 7 through 17. So how long after the events in Joshua 24 are the events of Joshua or Judges chapter 2? They're pretty close because we're just reading about Joshua dying. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Heretz in the mountains of Ephraim, Ephraim in the north side of Mount Gaash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Now, what do you expect the next thing to be? Everything's going to be hunky-dory. Everything's going to be great. Verse 11. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord. So there, there's that phrase again. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Ishtar. 
And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hand of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hand of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. When it says they turned quickly, that means they did it that fast, headlong, all in. So notice in verse 13, it says they forsook the Lord. So what kind of actions are we seeing here that show that they forsook the Lord? They're following the idols. They are serving the the Baals, the Ashtoreths. Are they keeping the commandments of God? They are not. Apparently the, the Levitical tribe is not doing anything that they were told was their responsibility. Right, so like, who's at fault here? It goes right back right. to Levi to the, because their job is to teach the people for... Well, even that, but we could take it to a smaller level. What does Deuteronomy 6 say? Let's go to Deuteronomy 6. Right, so go to Deuteronomy 6. Microcosm of the family of God. So when it says that the elders who outlived Joshua, the people served the Lord during the days of them, the ones who had seen it firsthand. Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, it says, You shall teach them diligently, talking about the words, the commandments. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down. And when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So even though the people served the Lord, somehow the message forgot to be passed down to the next generation. Because what if every family had been passing along those words? Would we have seen the people fall away so quickly? You shouldn't have seen it. You shouldn't have seen it. So yeah... Who was at fault? Maybe the Levitical priests maybe not were probably not doing the job they should have been doing, but we can take it down even farther, even to a smaller level, where the father's teaching their sons or their daughters. All right. What were the fathers off warring, taking over the land, so they left the families? Well, they did a lot of that with Joshua. So right. Yeah. Right. So, it just says that they didn't didn't pass it down. So, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like these people sending their children to Sunday school, but they're not teaching them at home. Right. So, whose job is it to teach the to teach the scriptures to the children? It's the father and the mother's job. Go to First Kings nine. Absolutely. Go to 1 Kings 9. Still looking at what does it mean to serve other gods. Did you say verse 9, sir? Yes. Chapter 9. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. 1 Kings chapter 9. 
We're going to read verses 6 through 9. Who is God talking to right here? Solomon. Solomon. How many times did God appear personally to Solomon? At least twice, right. So he's saying, if you keep my commandments, you won't ever have a descendant who will fail to sit on the throne of David. What does verse 6 start off with? It's in italics, but you can apply it. But. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them and this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all, na- among all peoples. And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and will say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will answer, Because not the Lord, they, the people, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and they have embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. Do you see the word embraced there in verse 9? That is a he-fill form of the word strengthen, chazak. So literally, when the people worship and serve those gods, they're giving them strength and them power that they don't have. So who gives the, the strength and the power to, the, to those idols? It's the people serving them. And it's the people's own beliefs. So God is saying, don't give them power that they don't deserve, that they don't even have. And what did he do? If you read chapter 11, you see what he did. He married 700 wives, 300 concubines, and his heart went astray. Yes, ma'am? Isn't that our problem today? Is that our nation has done the same thing? Giving credence and strength to something that doesn't need to be given credence to? Other gods. Yep, absolutely. In our country. Absolutely. We aren't... uh, we aren't serving the Lord as a nation. No. No, I don't believe so. Because are we seeing the repentance that this nation needs to see? Are we seeing a turn back to God's commandments? Nope. Not much. Not much. I mean, you see people that are, you know, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But, I mean, are we seeing true repentance in this country and around the world? Absolutely not. No, no we're not. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Um, 1 Samuel 8. 1 Samuel 8. We read this last night. 1 Samuel 8, 7 through 8, but we're reading it for a different purpose. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have 
They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. What does it mean to reject? Does it mean just get away? What's that word in Hebrew mean? It means to despise. So they haven't despised you, Samuel. They've despised me. They've cast me away that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. So notice what's going hand in hand right here. They've forsaken me, but then what have they done? They've served other gods. So what does it mean to forsake the Lord? Let's go to Jeremiah 16. God clearly tells what it means to forsake Him. Does that mean stop going to church on Sunday morning? Afraid not. Afraid not. You can do it right there in church. What did you say, Jeremiah 1? Jeremiah 16. You're welcome. Jeremiah 16, verses 10 through 13. So what does it mean to forsake the Lord? Verses 10 through 13. Key verses 11. Jeremiah 16.10 says, And it shall be when you show this people all these words and they say to you. Now before we, re before we read on, the word show is the Hebrew word nagad. And it means to make blatantly obvious. Don't hide it. Show them as plain as day. Here's what the people are doing. So it shall be when you make blatantly obvious to this people all the words, and they say to you, Why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Doesn't that sound like a kid? What did we do? What did we do? What is our sin? What is our iniquity? So what does that tell you about the people? They honestly believed they were what? Righteous. They believed they were serving God. Verse 11 says, Then you shall say to them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord, they have walked after other gods and have served them and worshipped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. So when they forsake God, what does God equate that with? They're not keeping my commandments. They're forsaking the law. And verse 12 says, You have done worse than your fathers, for behold, each one follows the dictates or the stubbornness of his own heart, so that no one listens to me. Therefore, I will cast you out of this land and into a land that you do not know, neither you nor your fathers, and there you shall serve other gods day and night, where I will not show you favor. And we teach today that Following your own heart is the highest of ambition. And what does Jeremiah 17 say about your heart? It says wicked. It's and wicked and deceitful above all things. Absolutely. We literally teach that in our schools. I don't. Universities. It's, it's in your <laughs> curricula, I'll bet you. It, I don't teach it. You don't teach it. No. <laughs> but the children are actually encouraged to follow their own dreams, follow your own heart. And right. You see this in all the little Disney movies. Right. 
Absolutely. And what does God say? That's a mistake. That's a mistake. Absolutely. You can make your own. Daniel? You can make your own choices in life, but you gotta live with those consequences. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Uh, you said Jeremiah seventeen. What verse is that? Uh, seventeen. Or okay, let's go to Jeremiah seventeen. It's seventeen nine. Jeremiah seventeen nine. Thank you. You're welcome. So just flip. Thank the, you. You're welcome. So just flip the page. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So when somebody says, follow your heart. You're going into a pit. No, don't follow your heart. Follow God, sorry. Right. We're going to stop here for today. There's still a little bit more I want to talk about with the servant doing the work of his master. And then how our works reflect our spiritual state. So when we get together next time, Lord willing, we'll wrap up the teaching and see, continue looking at what does the Bible say about works.